0: Wow. You know, that's one of the things I, I love about God, right? He calls us to do the impossible. He, he doesn't leave us without the resources to do the impossible. But nevertheless, He calls us to do what is not possible in our own strength. And of course, over these last weeks, we've been talking about forgiveness. And that God not only did the impossible in paying our debt by dying on the cross, He calls us to this same impossible work of learning to forgive others. Do you know George? Where's George? Did I see George? I saw George earlier. I don't know if they stayed for worship or not saw George Durham. I'm not just talking about George. There may be another George. Do you know, do you know George? Yeah. George Washington. Yeah. I don't know about him, but uh, let me tell you about George. George and his brother grew up going to church together, and they were close. They did everything together. They, they loved being together, and they grew up, and they got married, and their families lived close to each other and they went to church together every Sunday. They did everything together. They'd go out and have Sunday lunch with each other. On Christmas Eve, they'd gather together and worship the Lord and exchange gifts with each other. Their families were so close, so tight. Brothers. George says he doesn't remember what made him so angry at his brother but whatever it was the anger and the bitterness was so deep that it drove a wedge between he and his brothers between he and his brother and they went years without their families getting together and seeing each other George was so angry and bitter and even one time his brother reached out to him to see if they could get excuse me begin to heal their relationship and George, not remembering what the issue was, refused his brother's efforts to begin to reconcile. The years went by and finally, George decided it was time. It was time to reach out to his brother and to begin to try to mend that fence. And, He says the only thing he can remember about those years is the regret that he has now. The regret that he has today for all those years that his kids missed out with their cousins, that he missed out with his brother, all the memories that they would have had and shared, not there. And slowly and surely they're beginning to try to heal and repair that relationship. And you know what? George still can't remember why he got so angry at his brother. Forgiveness. Or maybe it's the lack of forgiveness that has broken and ruined so many marriages, so many families, so many friendships, and since we're here today, so many churches. We've already read that passage once, but I want to pull that Scripture back up. Phil, Ephesians chapter 4. I think that, that this is giving us really a dichotomy. We get to choose. We get to choose. Verse 31, and, and I'll read the entire, the entire verse. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger And clamor and slander be put away with you along with all malice. That's our choice. And, And the more I've thought about, the more we've come through this season of talking about forgiveness, the more that I believe when we enter life and continue life with an unforgiving spirit, we are embracing bitterness and we are embracing wrath, and we are embracing anger and malice toward the other. But Paul continues in verse thirty-two. But be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, as God, in Christ Jesus, has also forgiven you. Even here, Paul reminds us that first and foremost, forgiveness begins with God. It always begins with God. And as we move closer to next week to Palm Sunday and then to Good Friday and, and encounter Jesus on the cross, the first thing that we will hear from Him is, Father, forgive them. You see, forgiveness is made possible on the cross. It's there on the cross that, that Jesus paid the debt for our sin and allowed us to be forgiven and gave us that gift of grace and that gift of mercy and because of God's gift of forgiveness then as Paul said in Ephesians 4 32 and throughout as Jesus said himself we are then called to allow that forgiveness that we receive from God to flow through us so that we might forgive others and let us not be remiss to remind ourselves That forgiving others also includes learning how to forgive myself. Learning how to accept and receive God's gift of forgiveness for me. And to let God remove that guilt and that shame from my own sin. And we recognize that so often we struggle with that that act and that gift of forgiveness to ourselves. You see, if we cannot learn to forgive ourselves, the question that we must ask is, have we really experienced that initial forgiveness from God? And just as Jesus says that we're to love our neighbor as ourself, I would have to question, if we, if we don't know how to forgive ourselves, if we haven't learned to receive that gift of forgiveness for ourselves, have we really learned how to forgive others? Well, certainly, as we talk about forgiveness, there are many questions But again, forgiveness is essential. Forgiveness is an essential part of the life of the Christ follower. And again, it doesn't come naturally. It's an impossible work. It is uh, another word we could use. It is a discipline. It's a discipline that must be learned. It must be experienced. And then it must be practiced. For forgiveness is hard. And it creates questions. This morning, I want us to just briefly look at about four questions surrounding forgiveness. You see, one of the questions that we would ask or that we would would search the Scripture for is simply the question, well, what does the process of forgiveness look like? What does it mean to forgive someone? How do I do that? Are there some steps? Are there some ways that I can enter into this process of forgiveness? If you would, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, there's a beautiful parable about forgiveness that we considered. In fact, Matthew 18 contains three significant teachings on forgiveness. As I said, one we addressed a few weeks ago. Two of them we'll address today, or the Scriptures. The first one is Matthew 18, verse 15. It says, If your brother sins... Go and show him his fault in private. Certainly, if your sister sins, go and show her her fault in private. If they listen to you, you've won your brother, you've won your sister. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is a a strong teaching on forgiveness, the discipline of forgiveness. And let me just break it down just very briefly this morning into two steps that I think are critical that we take. The first step is the step of initiative. If you've been offended, go to that person and share... The offense, share how they have hurt you. Don't ever assume that someone knows that they've offended you. I can't tell you how many times that I've heard those stories of someone who who feels like they've been slighted by someone and they carry that, that burden with them, that anger with them, that bitterness toward that other person, and the other person is clueless. They have no idea that they have offended them. And so we must never assume that someone knows that they've offended us. But rather, as we look at this scripture, we take the initiative. We go to that person and we sit down with them first, I think, one-on-one. If it's a safe situation, we can do that. Do that one-on-one, we sit down and we explain how we've been offended, how we've been hurt and sinned against. And if that person responds and, and repents and, and there's forgiveness then you've saved that relationship if not the scripture says go gather a couple of others to go with you and to really sit down with them and to help them understand the seriousness of the situation and and walk through and make sure everyone understands the facts and again hopefully at that effort that healing and forgiveness can take place but if not notice the tough teaching let them be considered as a, a Gentile, as a tax collector. In other words, there's separation that takes place. There's separation that takes place. When someone who's approached about the, the sinning that they do against you refuses to receive that and take appropriate steps in that. A second step I'd like to say is that in this process, as you take the initiative, I think there's two phrases that need to be, we all need to learn how to say. In fact, we're going to practice them here. The first one is, I'm sorry. Ready? One, two, three. I'm sorry. Oh, wasn't that hard? Just kind of, ugh. Ugh. What about, and the other one is, I forgive you. Ready? One, two, three. I forgive you. I'm sorry. I forgive you. Just like, please and thank you. These are important words that we as Christians need to learn how to use, not flippantly, but in the process of forgiveness. Here's what I mean. When we say, I'm sorry, here's what we mean by that. When we say we're sorry for something, then we are acknowledging that our words and our actions have offended or hurt that person. In saying, I'm sorry, we are signifying our repentance as well. We're not just saying, well, I'm sorry I got caught. Wow. Wow. Isn't that what so many of us mean when we say, I'm sorry? We're not really repentant. We're just sorry we got caught. But when we say, I'm sorry, in in the Christian sense, what we're saying is, I'm not just sorry I got caught. I am sorry that I hurt you and I offended you. I am sorry that my words and my actions have offended and come against you. That's the first thing that we mean when we say we're sorry. We're regretting that we have caused hurt. We're showing our remorse over hurting someone. And by repenting, we're turning away from that, those words or those actions again in relationship to that person. In other words, we say, I'm sorry, and, and, and I'm not going to do that again. That's repentance. Additionally, to say I'm sorry recognizes that you may need to make amends for your actions If you have broken something, you need to replace it. If you've stolen something, you need to return it. If you have gossiped about someone, then you need to go about telling the truth and retracing that damage, those words that are so hurtful and biting towards others. So when we say, I'm sorry, we we mean all of those things that somehow we've come to grips with the brokenness and hurt and pain that we've caused that we repent and turn from that and we'll do our best to make it right. Likewise, to say the word, I forgive you. When someone says, I'm sorry, then we need to be able to say, I forgive you. We should never shortchange this part of the process by saying, "Ah, that's okay, don't worry about it. That's not part of forgiveness. Because what we need to do is to be able to say, you know what, you're right, those words really did hurt. Those actions really surprised me and and offended me and hurt me and brought brokenness into my life. I've got to acknowledge, I've got to agree with you that what you've done has been offensive and sinful and hurtful against me. When we say, I forgive you, We are admitting that that person has hurt and offended us. If we cannot acknowledge this offense, then the question would be, well, is there really anything to be sorry for? Saying, I forgive you, acknowledges the hurt and the pain, and then, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, then we lay aside, we put down, the bitterness, the anger, the malice, the desire for revenge that we may have because of that. When we say, I forgive you, we lay all that down. When we say, I forgive you, it means that we are willing to receive those expressions from the offender when possible to make amends or to take responsibility for their sin in your life. So let's remember the importance of saying, I'm sorry. And of saying, I forgive you. And having the courage to say, you know, I need to forgive you, but I'm really struggling with this right now. And I'm working hard because I know I need to and I want to forgive you. But you've hurt me so much that I'm having a hard time with this. Being honest in that process, but coming to that place where we can say, I forgive you. A second question that this passage alludes to is the idea, does forgiveness always lead to reconciliation? Again, we recognize that sin separates us. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin separates us from life. And death comes in all forms. Sin separates us from God, it separates us from ourselves, it separates us from each other. Matthew 18 tells us that if someone is unwilling to acknowledge their sin and their offense against others, that they should be separated. And their separation should continue until they acknowledge their sin and they work through the process of forgiveness. We are not obligated or expected to continue in relationships if they continue to be in which we are sinned against, in which there is no repentance and no remorse. This is called abuse. It's not sanctioned by God. In fact, if we refuse to create separation, we may be becoming an enabler, contributing to the offender's ability to continue in their sinful activity. But certainly, let us always remember that one of the purposes of forgiveness is reconciliation. But reconciliation must never be placed upon us like blinders. Now, Isaiah 43, 25 does say this, God will not remember your sins anymore. But I've not found where God tells us to forgive and forget. This idea of God forgetting our our sins is a divine characteristic and attribute. Rather, in forgiving, however... We're again to lay down our bitterness. We're to lay down our anger and our malice. We're not to use those past sins as weapons against the other person. And We are to pick up and to move forward with that relationship in kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says that we, that God has given us through Christ Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation... Now this ministry first and foremost refers to reconciliation that takes place between God and between humanity. The reconciliation that takes place on the cross as Christ paid for our sin. But then reconciled to God, we can then begin the work of reconciliation in our lives with those who have hurt and offended us and with those that we have hurt and offended. But again, let us be reminded that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same. Both are processes that take, that take time, that take effort. The process of forgiveness, the process of reconcil- reconciliation. And sometimes the truth is, reconciliation is not always possible or advisable in a given situation. For you see, reconciliation involves trust, and when trust is broken, it may or may not be able to be reestablished. I think of the wife, the spouse, who has been repeatedly abused and beaten. I think of the innocent child victimized by a friend or a family member. Sometimes reconciliation just isn't possible even as we're always called to that process of forgiveness because forgiveness is part of the healing that takes place within us. Related to this question of reconciliation is this. What happens if someone does not forgive me or someone who's not willing to reconcile with me? In this case, you've taken the initiative. You said, I'm sorry. I'm genuinely sorry. I regret the offense. I regret sinning against you. I've repented from that, and I will do every effort I can to make amends, yet still the other person refuses to reconcile, refuses to forgive. Well, what do I do? Well, First, we need to always remember that we cannot make someone forgive us. We cannot make someone reconcile with us. We are called to do our part, Certainly. But sometimes we are not fully aware of the hurt and the pain and the brokenness that we have placed and put into others' lives. If someone refuses to enter into that process with us, we must give them time, we must give them space, we must pray for them. Remember, sin creates separation. And forgiveness does not always heal or bring back together That separation. Second, if someone will not forgive you, learn to be confident in God's forgiveness. Learn to be confident in forgiving yourself, receiving God's forgiveness and living out of that forgiveness. Don't let someone else's unwillingness to forgive you keep you from living in the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus paid on your behalf on the cross. You've laid that before the Lord. You've laid that act of forgiveness. I want to be a part of this forgiveness, but they're not ready or they've rejected that. Well, then you live in the strength and the courage and the confidence that God has forgiven you and that God has called you to a new life of repentance and righteousness before Him. Another question that I want us to look at again, it takes us back to Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 22, is this. How many times must I forgive that person? Peter asked the question specifically. Peter came in verse 21. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter's trying to be pretty generous here. I'm going to forgive him seven times. God, isn't that enough, Jesus? Jesus said, I do not say up to you seven times, but up to 70 70 times 7. In other words, however much it takes. As Chad reminded us a few weeks ago, the lights up on the stage, these LED lights represent that that infinite number. How many times do I forgive them? Well, whatever it takes. A number we can't count. It's so great. What a a powerful visual reminder. Well, I've forgiven them three times. Well, look at the lights. Wow. Wow. How many times we forgive until we've worked through that issue, until we've gone through the process. Jesus addresses this issue with the disciples in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 5. He says, be on guard. If your brother sins, then rebuke him. Just like in Matthew 18, go to your brother, go to your sister, and share with them that they have offended you. And if they repent, then forgive them. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, there's that word again, I repent. Genuine sorrow, genuine regret, genuinely saying, I'm not going to do that again. Even if they come seven times a day to do that, saying, I repent, then forgive him. And then I love what the, <laughs> what the apostles say When Jesus shares this teaching, you continue reading in verse 5. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus, this is crazy. This is too hard. This is impossible. Increase our faith. Forgiveness is a faith issue. Again, this teaching is hard. So Lord, increase our faith. I believe these teachings have at least two meanings. First of all, we are to forgive the person who habitually sins against us as long as they are repentant each time they return and ask for forgiveness. Now follow me here because forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation, and transformation are a process. And let's step back and look at it from the the divine relationship that we share with God. You see, I'm so thankful that God hasn't set a limit on the number of times he will forgive me for the same offense. Well, Wade, you've done that one now for 25 times now. You've done that one now for 2,500 times. We're getting close to the limit. But no, each time... That i sin before the lord and i i repent of that and i am contrite in heart and god I, it breaks my heart that i do that and that i sin against you that way and i turn from that you see i've entered into that process of saying god i'm sorry and, and you know what the scripture says in first john 1 9 says if we confess our sins then he then god is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness John doesn't say, well, you know, if you confess your sins the first 100 times, God is faithful and just to forgive you. It's written to believers. It's written to you and me. However often we confess our sins, we agree with God, we repent of our sin, we turn from our sin, however often, then God is the one who's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. I'm so thankful that God has it put a parameter upon the number of times He will forgive me. God's patient with me and I must learn to be patient with others. Certainly, as we mentioned before, within the parameters of what is safe. You see, I have learned that if I am faithful to confess and repent of my sin each time, that God always, always, always forgives and cleanses and restores me. The problem is not with God. The problem is not with God forgiving me. The problem is my willingness to persevere and to repent each time I repeat the sin. In other words, I can't give up on myself either. I can't say, well, God, you know, I've done this a thousand times. I quit. I'm done. I'm just going to continue on. No, don't give up on yourself. Continue to confess. Continue to repent. Continue to allow God to cleanse And to renew and what you will discover is that over a period of time if you will be faithful that that work of transformation and reconciliation will begin to bear fruit and you will begin to have victory short term you will begin to have victory long term over those areas of sin that now have you in their clutches don't get frustrated don't quit The change will begin at some point because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And as you learn to live into that new creation, you will see the change of forgiveness in your life. And because God does not give up on me, then I must not give up on you and we must not give up on each other. So when there's genuine repentance and genuine remorse and people come to us and confess, I'm so sorry I've sinned against you, And we must enter into that process of forgiveness. And I believe that if we're faithful to that, that together we can help each other overcome and have victory in the areas that we struggle with. But again, we must persevere. We must endure with each other as long as it takes and live in grace and mercy and humility with each other. Now, a second understanding of this scripture that I want us to be aware of is the idea that this teaching of forgiving someone over and over again, I think, even if the offense just occurs one time, or if the offense has taken place years and years ago, I think of the drunk driver who killed a family member or friend, I think of the rape victim, I think of the person who bullied you or destroyed your reputation in high school. I think of the adulterer who broke up your marriage and your family. The offense is long gone, but the consequences and the memories and the pain are ever-present. And We must commit to the process of forgiveness, even if it means forgiving that person each and every day. You see, the wounds of sin penetrate deeply into our minds, into our soul into our body. Healing takes time and scars always remain. But we must trust God. We must lean on God. We must believe that even He can redeem the sin and the hurt and the brokenness of the past. Romans 8.28 puts it this way, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. If we understand one of His purposes is that that purpose of forgiveness, of salvation. That we can understand that the process of forgiveness is one of the pathways through which God causes all things to work together for good. The process through which God redeems the horrible things of our life in our path. Milam King, some of you remember Milam, served as a a deacon in our church before his death several years ago. Milam shared with me the struggle, the pain that he endured through the senseless and, mur- and senseless and random murder of his son. Milam gave me a copy of the letter that he wrote to his son's murderer who was in prison. It reveals Milam's commitment and also his struggle to forgive each and every day. I'll share a portion of this letter. Abraham. I'm so glad that you've accepted Christ and become a Christian. God forgives us of our sins and can really change our lives if we let Him. Our sins cause those close to us to suffer, along with us who've committed the wrongs. Hopefully our faith in Jesus and God will sustain us in this time. We never know what each day holds for us, but our faith sustains us. Like I told you when we visited in March, some days I forgive you and some days I can't. But God's forgiveness is really what counts. I pray that Milam's story will inspire you to forgive even if it means learning to forgive the same offense day after day after day, allowing God to redeem that work and that tragedy, and that sin in your life over a period of time. Certainly there are many more questions around the area of forgiveness that we we haven't approached today. But today I want to ask you two specific questions about forgiveness. First of all, have you been forgiven by God? Have you received that forgiveness? When Jesus cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them, have you understood that you're one of the them that He... Seeks to forgive? And secondly, are you learning how to forgive others? You see, there's Georges all around us. Georges all around us with broken relationships. Georges all around us that need to learn how to say, I'm sorry, or I forgive you. So this morning, who do you need to say, I'm sorry to? Or maybe, who do you need to say, I forgive you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for these powerful words of forgiveness. And even more so, we thank you for the incredible, impossible witness of forgiveness that you've given us on the cross and that you've called us to do the same. God, there are those here today that continue to battle the battle of guilt and of shame, and they've never yet received your gift of forgiveness. And today I pray that this would be the day that they surrender that battle to you, that they receive your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. There are also those of us here today that can relate exactly to George. We don't know why we're angry at a brother, at a sister, at a parent, at a spouse, at a friend, but all we know is that we haven't talked to them in months or years and that there is great hurt and bitterness. Father, teach us how to take the initiative, how to go, Teach us how to say, I'm sorry. Teach us how to say, I forgive you. We pray this in your name. Amen. As we stand and sing in just a moment, the altar is open for those to come, to sit here on these front rows to kneel at the altar, just to pray and to seek God in this area of forgiveness. It's an area that we all struggle with. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself and experience the gift of forgiveness today. Let's stand and sing.